0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 26 of the Ubuntu security podcast with me your host Alex Murray. So this week we'll be doing the usual look at the CVEs and vulnerabilities that the team has fixed for the week. We'll also have a chat about uh, some hardening tips sent in from one of our listeners and I'm going to have a bit of a chat to uh, Joe McManus security team manager about some uh, recent stories from out of Facebook about insecure password storage. And we'll also have a quick mention of some open positions on the team as well. Okay, so let's get into it. So first thing, uh, we've had updates for Firefox this week. So last week I talked about uh Firefox 66 release that had gone out and a bunch of uh, vulnerabilities that were fixed with that. And I mentioned at the time that it looked like there was a kind of quick paper bag release, uh, 66.0.1, that was done right at the end of last week. And... Uh, yeah so that's gone out uh, and so that fixes a couple new vulnerabilities that weren't in the previous release these were discovered during the pwn2own competition Uh, both of these are in relation to the ion monkey jit compiler so just in time javascript compilation engine one of them uh, was around incorrect alias information for the array.prototype.slice methods essentially doing slices on arrays uh, which would lead to missing bounds checks and therefore a buffer overflow And therefore, you know, you've got memory corruption and so code execution as a result. The second one there was around type confusion in the handling of the proto uh, mutations. And so proto uh, is uh, used to modify the prototype of an object in JavaScript. And prototype inheritance is essentially the way that uh, inheritance is done between objects in JavaScript. Uh, And again, this would allow memory corruption and therefore code execution as a result. So both of those have been fixed. Uh, so when I talked about the Firefox update last week, uh, we didn't mention Trusty at that point because that came out separately, so we've now got the update for Trusty as well. Uh, that's 66.0.1 as I mentioned above, so that includes all of the things I talked about in last week's update for Xenial Bionic and Cosmic, plus the couple I just mentioned then that came from point own So all Trusty, Xenial Bionic and Cosmic have uh, Firefox 66.0.1, but wait, there's more. So, we had a Firefox regression update as well. So, it turned out uh, that the 60, Firefox 66 and Firefox 66.0.1 both contained the same regression, which was in relation to the way that uh, key code handling had changed uh, in Firefox version 66. So, upstream Firefox released uh, Firefox version 66.0.2, uh, and that basically uh, fixes uh, key code handling in particular for Office 365, iCloud, and IBM Webmail. So essentially all of those have been kind of special case to fall back to the previous method instead of using the newer version of keycode handling that had been rolled out. In relation to that, we've also got an update for Thunderbird. So Thunderbird has been updated to version 60.6.1 for Trusty, Xenial, Bionic and Cosmic. This rolls in uh, the security fixes that I had talked about previously for Firefox. So those couple at the start that came from Pwn2Own, plus all the ones that I talked about in last week's episode, episode 25... Uh, They're all now bundled in for Thunderbird as well. Okay, we've got an update for XML tooling. One CVE here fixed for trusty Xenial, Bionic and Cosmic. This was a crash due to an uncaught DOM exception, uh, which was able to be triggered by a malformed XML document and therefore leading to obviously a crash, so leading to a denial of service. And I want to thank Etienne Desli-Metreff, hopefully I haven't butchered your name too badly there, Etienne, uh, who provided the dev diffs as well as testing for this update uh, via Launchpad. So thank you very much for that. We've got an update for PHP. So this is five CVEs here that were fixed for Xenial, Bionic, and Cosmic. A number of different things here, obviously. An integer overflow that was uh, would occur only on 32-bit architectures, though, when processing malformed uh, exif image data, uh, resulting in a crash and therefore denial of service. Uh, we've got a failure to check available data length when processing image thumbnails. So this would result in an out-of-bounds read. Uh, again, most likely a segmentation violation there, therefore a crash, denial of service. Uh, we've got another out-of-bound read of just one byte when handling uh, other parts of the XUF image data. Again, uh, crashed on all the servers. And finally, uh, during file renames, if the file had to be moved across uh, file systems, the sort of fallback code for doing that uh, would briefly make the file world readable, allowing anyone to possibly read it. So you could race that file rename, essentially get uh, read access to a file that you may not have otherwise had. Uh, so this is fixed by ensuring that uh, the UMask is correctly set so that when this new file is created, it always has restrictive permissions applied to it and is never well-readable. Yeah, so a uh, bit of a different one there, but that's also been fixed as well for PHP. We've got an update for uh, QEMU. 11 CVEs here fixed for trusty Bionic, and Cosmic. Uh, there's an heap-based buffer overflow that was fixed in the TCP emulation code. Uh, there was an out-of-bounds read in uh, I2C handling, which would allow a local attacker uh, with, a, with guest access who had permission to execute I2C commands who could, uh, to therefore read uh, QME host process stack memory because essentially the host process would read out uh, too much memory and pass that back to the guest. Uh, we've also got a fix for a uh, race condition on file renaming uh, in the plan 9 file system uh, host directory sharing code. So uh, this would lead again to a crash and denial of service. There was a couple issues here fixed in uh, the USB uh, media transport protocol handling (MTP) handling. So there was a time of check to time of use error that would allow an attacker who had right access to a shared host file system, whether this was you know through the guest uh, shared file system handling or through something like SMB. Uh, who could navig- to therefore navigate the host file system in the context of QEMU host process and therefore read any files that the QEMU itself could read on the host. So that's been fixed. There was also an issue with a path traversal flaw due to improper file name sanitization. So which would allow read-write access to arbitrary host files uh, that the QEMU process could access. And so because of this, you could therefore lead to a denial of service on the via the host or even code execution on the host. Finally, there's been a bunch of updates for the paravirtualized RDMA subsystem in QEMU, uh, fixing a bunch of things like a denial of service due to an infinite loop, uh, a few different null pointer dereferences due to, in this case, a missing read method for one part or due to uh, failures to check parameters uh, leading to yeah, null pointer dereference or potentially possible extreme memory allocation. And finally, a fix of an out-of-bounds read which was triggerable by the guest as well as a bunch of other memory leaks too. So yeah, they've all been fixed for QEMU. We've got an update for Mod Auth Melon. So Mod Auth Melon is an Apache module uh, that provides authentication and authorization via uh, SAML 2.0 identity providers. Uh, in this case, uh, there's uh, an up, this update is for Bionic and Cosmic. Uh, the two CVEs here, uh, one of them was where it was possible to bypass the authorization checks uh, when also combining this module with ModProxy. And there was also an open redirect uh, via the logout uh, API endpoint. So essentially, uh, an attacker could encode an absolute URL using uh, backslashes in place of forward slashes in the URL. And this would be kind of passed through to the client and your web browser would automatically convert those backslashes to forward slashes as uh, a proper URL and would follow that redirect. And uh, this wasn't meant to happen obviously mod auth melon uh, only wants to have redirects to own uh, you know own pages in its own local domain uh so this has been fixed we've got an update for the free image library so one cve here fixed for trusty and xenial uh, this is just an out of bounds right uh, in xmp image handling leading to uh, possible code execution but obviously a denial of service and we've got an update for gpac so gpac is like a media encoding library uh, eight different CVEs here fixed for Xenial, Bionic and Cosmic and they were, uh, as is common in these low-level libraries written in C and particularly when they're uh, kind of not uh, written with modern coding, sta- coding standards, uh, various memory safety issues here. So there was a bunch of uh, out-of-bounds buffer reads and writes uh, in particular due to the use of strcpy without bothering to check buffer lengths and that kind of thing here. Uh, yeah, so all of those have been fixed for GPAC as well. So uh, during the week, I thought uh, we would try something different uh, in this episode and hopefully going forward as well from now on, which was to not just have to listen to me talk about uh, security stuff. I thought that I would get in a special guest. So uh, Joe McManus joined me earlier in the week to have a bit of a discussion about uh, this recent incident where Facebook essentially announced that they had inadvertently been storing passwords in the clear.
1: Well, what I wanted to say first is, this can happen to anybody. I saw a, a bunch of posts from from people saying, oh, this just shows how Facebook doesn't care about security. And I've I've met a bunch of the Facebook folks. They participated in some hackathons I put on. And they're their security people are genuinely trying hard. They're really skilled people. They've got a gigantic infrastructure. So I wouldn't cast that, oh, they don't care about security. Um So what I want to talk about though is how this can happen. So I don't know all the details and I don't think anybody else does, but what what I've gathered is it seems like some log files contain passwords. Those log files were stored in clear text because they're log files, right? You wouldn't think about encrypting them. Um, I'm assuming there was a problem. Somebody turned on some sort of debug mode, turned it off when they were done and then thought, well, nobody looks at logs, I don't, this doesn't matter, but the logs probably aren't standalone, right? They probably got imported into some sort of syslog or sim or something like that. And then they got backed up. So I bet these are sitting out in multiple places and it was a lot of work to clean it up. It was also work to discover it. And I think we've opened in a situation where we've turned on debugging to, tru- to troubleshoot something. But I would say part of that means you should intentionally write some sort of filter that says, I'm not going to log every post that comes into the site. If I get a post for passwords, I'm gonna throw that off to the side. I I don't log that. Have you seen something like that before?
0: Uh, I recall there was something around Twitter where they had a similar thing, where I think they were debugging their login procedure, a bit like you said, and they were storing passwords as well. So it is something that I guess does happen um, more often than we think it does.
1: I've actually seen it happen. I helped out a startup um they asked me some questions hey can you come and look at our aws stuff and while we were just poking through their um uh there's a built-in aws logging agent which i can't remember the name of right now but it's part of the standard aws stack it's like elk stack but part of aws and we were just looking through it, it was like, hey what's that and it was passwords so we ended up having to blow all that away but they also were storing logs as part of their um contractual obligations to some of their customers because they were a cloud provider so uh what we did was go back and actually regex everything and scrub all those passwords because they couldn't throw the logs
0: out. Yeah, that's a good point. And I guess that's the other half of this in that they didn't necessarily have to log the password itself. You might want to be logging the fact that, you know, you knew what or you knew the password so you could log like a placeholder a bit like you said, (laughs) kind of scrub it as you log it or something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then I think if you've looked at some of the articles, they they're missing that this was in a log. So they keep saying, well, the best way to store a password is I was to encrypt it, but also use a, a one-way encryption. So use a salt and a hash. And so that would get rid of this problem. Although it wouldn't really get rid of this problem because you'd still be storing the password in the log. So the first lesson here is, like you said, maybe the solution is to just print password received and not actually print the password to know that your, you know, your, your, your application is working correctly. So then if you're gonna store them somewhere, like in a database, you wanna store them you know, with a salt and a hash. And one of the biggest mistakes I see are people using a, um, a site-wide salt. So actually, let me step back. For those who don't know how a salt and a hash works. So a hash is just a cryptographic hash, right? And what I would encourage you to do, is, if you're not familiar with this, is go to the prompt on your machine and type a word, like let's say type, um, the word Apple and do echo Apple pipe MD5 or MD5 sum depending on your OS, and then paste that MD5 into Google and you'll get back a decryption of that. And it's actually not really a decryption because there is no decryption with MD5s. What it is is somebody's created a map. They just put in the top, you know, million words in every language, ran them through MD5 and created a database or or a rainbow table or a lookup table. Um, So you don't want to use, and that uses MD5. And so before you write a bunch of comments saying nobody uses MD5s, I totally agree. Don't use md 5s but that's my example to go and use that with with google so you're using a solid hashing algorithm you know it's like 20 48 bits and you're hashing a password but still let's say you get compromised your database is, is exported and the whole password table is there well you'll be able to know by the length roughly what or and actually if you get the code too you know the length and what kind of encryption they use and then you're going to start up your own rainbow table generation so I recommend a hash. I'm sorry, a salt and a hash. But how salts work are: you grab the password, and then you grab a salt. You combine the two, and you hash those two. So instead of, if we go back to the earlier example, instead of just storing the word "apple," now you're going to have some salt, which is a, a random bunch of strings appended to it. Salt those two, and if you were to print out what that salt is, put it into Google, you wouldn't find the the passphrase. Um, if you do it for your entire website, though a determined attacker might go through the the process of looking up every single uh, or generating um, new hash tables for every single permutation of, of the top million words and try to figure out your, your user's passwords. Um, so I recommend a per user salt. So every single user has a specific salt, and now you've really made the work of your attacker harder. And one thing I find with security is, if you create a harder target, attackers are more than likely to move on to the next one. That doesn't hold if you're a high-value target, if you know, if it's a targeted attack, something like that. But still, making it harder it tends to confound your attacker.
0: Yeah, I guess around that, I guess often what we do in security is we are talking about just trying to raise the bar and make things, you know, incrementally difficult. For an attacker, you know, rarely do we get to the point of perfect security and perhaps perhaps we never do, but it's always about, I guess, trying to make things more difficult.
1: Yeah, I use the example of um, if you have a car, right? Your car has, um, has glass windows. You lock the door, even though somebody can smash the window and break in. But if you left the door unlocked, a lazy attacker is gonna go by, grab the handle, if it opens up, then they're gonna go in. So you just wanna add those layers. So it's the concept of layered security and defense in depth. And so we're not saying just by using a salt and a hash, your web application is now totally attack proof, but you've added another layer in. And so I'm sure you're doing deep packet inspection and you've got a web application firewall and all those other things. And you've looked at the OWASP top 10, you know, all that all that stuff.
0: Thanks, Joe. Did you wanna talk about anything more today?
1: No, Alex, thanks for having me on. Um, if you don't mind, I'm totally going to crash your Ubuntu security podcast party in the future because I love to talk about security.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would love to have you on board, Joe. You know, if we could do this as a regular thing, that would be brilliant. Thanks, man.
1: No problem. See you next week.
0: So thanks for Joe, uh, to having to having that chat with me. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I put a call out for your favorite uh, hardening tips for Ubuntu. And uh, last week, Paul Waring got in touch with us to mention his tips. In particular, he called out uh, installing and configuring unattended upgrades. As I've mentioned on a bunch of previous episodes, uh, this is now the default for uh, Bionic, uh, but on previous uh, installations, you will need to enable that yourself. Uh, He also talked about installing UFW, the uncomplicated firewall, which is written and maintained by the security team's own Jamie Strandboe. Uh, and so you install uncomplicated firewall to block all incoming connections uh, except whatever specific services you have and making this done easily through ansible and a few lines of just yaml to configure that Uh, so that's really good and so these were a couple things that he talked about doing across any system you install whether it's a desktop or a server paul also then mentioned a couple things that he does for server installs as well in particular uh, to ban uh, IPs that try to brute force their way in through SSH uh, to install SSH guard. And also he talked about requiring TLS for all services, which is a really good thing to see. And nowadays you can do this quite easily using Let's Encrypt and the CertBot tool to do that. Uh, so he mentioned those as well. And he also mentioned about configuring SSH to only permit key-based authentication. So not using passwords, but obviously using public key authentication there. And finally, actually... One thing Paul did mention that I specifically wanted to talk about was trying to automate this. And that's something that as a team we think is really important as well, because uh, as much as you can kind of have these guidelines uh, to, you know, as what to do to harden a system, if you can make sure that that is done automatically so that things don't get forgotten or so that you can easily remediate things that are not correct, uh, you know, that's really important too. And so Paul was talking about using Ansible to do this in the future. And I think, yeah, that's a really good approach to take for that kind of thing. So thanks, Paul. Uh, I really uh, appreciate you getting in touch with that. A lot of those things are yeah, certainly the kind of things that we would definitely advocate uh, that users do if you're looking to harden your installs. Okay. We are also still hiring. The Ubuntu security team is looking for an Ubuntu security generalist. If you are listening to this podcast and you have a keen interest in Ubuntu and security and you've done some uh, Debian packaging work or Ubuntu packaging work in the past or maintained your own open source software, we would love you to apply. Please check out the link in the show notes. Plus, we are looking for a robotic security engineer. So if you have uh, experience in ROS in particular, and you are active in the upstream ROS community and have an interest in robotics and in particular in obviously security of robotics and in ROS, we would welcome you to apply for the robotic security engineered role. And I've got links to both of those job applications in the show notes, so I urge you to apply. Okay, that takes us to the end of the show. As usual, if you would like to get in contact with the team, whether to send us your favorite hardening tips or to talk about anything else in, to, in relation to Ubuntu security, you can send us an email at security at ubuntu.com. Or you can find the team hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network. If you would like to come and chat with us at any time of the day, that would be great or you can reach us on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec So thanks again for listening, everyone. I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, the slight change of pace this week, particularly with the chat with Joe. As I said, I hope, hope we can roll that out again in the future as a bit of an ongoing thing. But remember, until next week, keep calm, enable automated upgrades, and I will speak to you again soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.